her flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask, the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Our good God, we ask once again that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and that it would be a light unto our path and that by it we would see Jesus, your son, freely given to us and that we would be changed by him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this week before Advent is really our final week in this series called Encounters with Jesus, and as we come to our final encounter, what we see is something very personal. And this encounter leaves us with a very personal question that we are all meant to sit in and reflect on and let it challenge us and let it redirect us and let it encourage us. And the question is simply this, what is, what is the significance of Jesus for you? What does Jesus mean to you personally? This is a question for all of us, whether you are simply exploring the Christian faith, discovering what Jesus said and what it all means and might mean for you, or whether you have been following Jesus for decades. Because this question of what is the significance of Jesus for you really gets at the heart of what the gospel is all about. It gets to the heart of faith. It gets to the heart of the Advent season. And really it gets to the heart of all of life itself. And, and this, this morning we are not given a passage with just commands on how we are to live. Neither are we given these tight logical arguments that are meant to explain the faith in a different way. What we are given is simply a story. And we're given a story that has a surprise encounter with Jesus himself. And for most of the encounters that we've been looking at throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've seen a pattern of, of Mark seems to be very action-oriented. He doesn't like to give a lot of details. He likes to focus on specific aspects and leave so much out. He doesn't slow down very often. And so when he does slow down and provide details, it means we are meant to slow down and ask, what's the significance here? And so Mark here slows us down once again because there is something in here that he is saying to us, I don't want you to miss. And 
He doesn't want us to miss this because Jesus himself doesn't want us to miss this. There's something significant here that Jesus says, I want you, I want you to get. In his own words, after what happens, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So something has happened 2,000 years ago, 6,000 miles away in a very different culture that is so significant to Jesus himself that we are here this morning talking about it together and trying to figure out what it might mean for us. There's something that Jesus is amazed by. And I want you to think about a time either recently or far back where you simply looked at something or experienced something and your response was just one of wonder and you just simply said to yourself or to those around you, that is beautiful. Just a small example from my life. A few weeks ago, Katie and I took a trip up to the Northeast Georgia mountains. We went to Brasstown Bald, which is the highest point in Georgia. And I wasn't expecting much in terms of what to be able to see. Georgia is not renowned for its mountains and for its views. And so I expected just to see some kind of hills uh, that are filled with trees. And as we climbed up to the top of the mountain, it was, it really was amazing. Uh, On the top of this tower, on top of a mountain, you looked all around and for hundreds of miles, all that you could see were these rolling hills that seem to go on forever. You see blue skies, you see clouds shining through. And there was this moment where looking around, the, the response wasn't something that I mustered up. It was simply something that came in response to what I saw. And it was just, that's beautiful. Even this morning, just seeing the sunrise come up, seeing the pink and the orange in the clouds, there was something that just says that's beautiful. There's something in this passage, in this encounter, that moves Jesus to say that. That is beautiful. And if the Son of God, creator of all things, slows down and says something is beautiful, it's something that we want to take note of. It's something we want to ask ourselves. Do we find that same thing beautiful like he does? So what happens and what does it mean for us? It all starts, our encounter does, in the house of Simon, who was once a leper. And what we're seeing is a continued pattern in Jesus' life. He's moving towards those who seem to be on the fringe of society, the broken, the sick, the needy, the sinners, those who are most welcoming to Jesus. And you could say, maybe it's... it's um, Maybe it's not just that's who Jesus was moving towards, but those were the ones who found themselves most eager to hear what he had to say, most willing to believe and most willing to trust because of their need. And so there's this meal and there's a group of friends and followers of Jesus. And in this culture at this time, a meal like this would have been shared on a small table close to the ground. And so when it says he was reclining with them and sharing a meal, you get this picture of this group of people on their sides, reclined, relaxed, sharing this simple meal together. 
And then something happens to break up this very ordinary and common picture, and that's a woman comes in. And Mark doesn't give us her name or anything significant about her, except that she is carrying something that is incredibly valuable. Now, I think all of us have been asked at some point in our lives this question. If, if a fire broke out in your house, what is it that you would run to to try to get, to rescue, to take with you? In other words, if the fire is consuming everything you own, what is something that you would want to risk your own safety to keep safe? And the question is meant to reveal what is precious to us and what is important to us. A common answer people give is, is picture albums, items of sentimental value that can't be replaced. Items that have been passed down. I remember when my father gave me this small New Testament Bible. And it was my grandfather's and it was given to him uh, by the army when he went to serve in World War II. And so it's not just a, a thin New Testament. It also has this metal covering so you would keep it here and it could even provide safety for you. And it's something that on the front it says an etching that you can barely see anymore. May God be with you. As, I, as he gave this to me, I could tell it was something that had great sentimental value to him. And in turn, it does to me. This is not something that I can just go out and purchase on my own. This is something that has been passed down that I look at that I cannot just simply replace. It's an heirloom of some sort. What we see before us is a woman carrying what is most likely her most prized possession, likely a family heirloom that has been passed down generation to generation, from mother to daughter, from mother to daughter. And it's an alabaster flask of ointment containing pure nard. Now, when we think about ointment of pure nard, that, that doesn't get us excited or that doesn't lock into our mental space in a way that it would for those back then. In a house fire, none of us are asking, where is the perfume? Where's the nard? Because we've got to get that and get out of the house. But when they, when she would have brought this in, they would have seen something very different. She's holding a container that was valued, we're told, at something around 300 denarii, which to put that in context, for a full day's work of hard labor, you would have been given one denarii. And so this, this flask that she is holding and carrying with her is about a year's wages. And so you could think thirty, forty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. This is a, a prized possession for her, not just for sentimental reasons, but for real cash value. Something like this is something that you treasure. It's something that you keep safe. It's something that you don't just give away. And an item like this would have been even more precious to a woman like this in her day. Because life as a woman was simply less secure. You could not find these sources of income on your own. The loss of a husband or sons was common and it left widows in these risky 
and vulnerable positions. And in the midst of this vulnerable place, there weren't these great government programs that would come alongside you and provide these safety nets. So what she has before her is something of incredible value and security and hope during very uncertain times. And so here she is at this dinner party carrying in what is probably her most valuable and treasured possession. And why is she bringing it and what is she doing with it? And what we see next is she takes, it would have been a flask with a long neck. She takes the neck and she breaks it. And then she takes it and she pours it over Jesus' head. There's a scene in The Dark Knight. It's a Batman movie where the Joker is standing next to, uh, it's like a 20-foot high pyramid of just cash. And all these mobsters are surrounding it, and they're just thinking he's going to share this, and they're all going to enjoy this, and what all this money can do. And he looks at them and, and their love for this money, and he starts doing the unthinkable. He pours gasoline all over this giant pyramid. He takes a cigar. He simply just throws it on there, and, and up in flames, tens of millions of dollars just are gone just like that. And the people around him, they cannot believe what they are seeing. While, while this woman doesn't set fire to a big pile of cash, those watching around her feel like she is doing the very same thing. She's doing something just, just as wasteful. And they don't just roll their eyes and kind of whisper at each other. We read that they are indignant. When you are indignant, it's not just that you are frustrated. To be indignant means that you see something that is genuinely wrong and you are furious at it because of the very wrongness of it. They think she is doing something fundamentally flawed and they let her know that she's made a huge mistake. And Mark tells us that out of this indignation, they begin to scold her. Think about being scolded with hot water. When you have boiling water poured on your skin, it scolds, it burns. And this is some of what these disciples, these Jesus lovers are doing to this woman in response to this act. They are burning her with their words, with their looks, with their responses. You can... You can get the picture here. There, there's this woman who is close to Jesus, surrounded by all of these angry, distraught men with angry, cutting, powerful voices telling her how wrong she is and what a stupid thing she has done. They say they could have, she could have used this money for the poor, but you, you don't get the sense that they're really concerned about the poor as it flows out of this. To them, it was just this extravagant waste. And so these angry voices are building up until another voice cuts through that. And it's another voice that simply says this, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Jesus comes to her defense. But notice Jesus doesn't just say, Yes, she did something incredibly stupid. Yes, she did something incredibly wasteful. Yes, we all make mistakes. And remember, we are to be gracious and compassionate. 
even to those who make mistakes. This is how we are to love her in the midst of all of her extravagant stupidity. Jesus sees what happens in a very different way than those around him see it. He says, why are you troubling her? Why are you treating her like this? She has done a beautiful thing for me. What does Jesus see that they don't? Jesus sees a woman take what is most precious to her and pour it all out on him. What's in this container is not just expensive nard. What's in this container is her security. What's in this container is her hopes. What's in this container is her comfort. It is her future. What is in this container is her heart. What's in this container is her very life that she is pouring out freely. And she breaks through cultural taboos and this group of disgruntled men to pour it all out on Jesus. Why? To show her love. What had Jesus done for her? We don't know. What did Jesus mean to her? It seems like everything. And that brings us back to our question, what does Jesus mean to you? What is the significance of this Son of God come to earth in your life here and now? And that's the question that really all of life hinges on. And just because you have been following Jesus for a long period of time doesn't get you out of asking this question and reflecting on it in a challenging ways. Because don't forget, the, the people around here with such a cold and scolding response who are missing it are those who have spent time with Jesus, who have heard Him teach, who have seen Him do miracles. They have, they have years of time with Him and they don't seem to be getting it. Jesus looks at this woman, this outrageous act, and He says, she gets it. She gets it. What all of you don't seem to understand, she understands intuitively and is responding in such a beautiful way. And we are all called to a life of extravagant love. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the most important commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, your neighbor as yourself. Extravagant, outflowing, outpouring Love. That's an all-in kind of love. It's a holding nothing back kind of love. It's a, it's a pouring out everything I have kind of love. And when this woman pours out everything she has on Jesus, Jesus sees deeper meaning in it. What does He say? He says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body for burial. See, Jesus had told them again and again and again what was going to happen to him, but they weren't understanding it. And Jesus is using this moment 
to once again say something is going to happen to me. I am going to pursue a certain end and this prepares me for that end. The time is coming when he's going to be killed. And when we finally do see Jesus on the cross, what is it that we see? Do we just see a simple tragedy? A simple miscarriage of justice? What we see, I would say, in light of this text is Jesus himself pouring out everything he has for us. He is pouring out His security. On the cross, He is pouring out His comfort. On the cross, He is pouring out His reputation. He is pouring out His present. He is pouring out His future. He is pouring out His strength and every ounce of energy He has. He is pouring out His blood. He is pouring out His life. He is pouring out His love. He's holding nothing back. And remember, all of those watching, or so many who were watching, they mocked him because what they saw, they thought it was an extravagant waste. He saved others, he can't save himself. If you are the Messiah, come down, rescue yourself. Show us that you are as special as everyone thinks you are. And they missed In the same way they missed what this woman was doing, they missed the most beautiful act that the world has ever or will ever seen. And it's something that we are meant to look at day after day and say that, that is beautiful. And unless we're able to do that, unless we're able to see that we will never pour out our lives in love. We'll never be able to to do what Paul says in offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So often I think we rely on just sheer grin and bear it and duty to make the Christian life work. And Jesus is showing us a different way. He's saying, You are to be motivated and moved by deeper realities. Teresa of Avila uttered this prayer in the 1500s, which is still very relevant today. She said, God, save us from gloomy saints. In other words, what the world needs is not cold and disinterested Christians. What the world needs is people who are moved and emboldened and encouraged and transformed and impassioned by a much greater and deeper love that flows out of this act that God has done on our behalf and the price that has been paid, the treasure that has not been held back for our good. And so close with just a few questions. What is your treasure? What do you love in life? What is at the center of your world? Not just what do you say is your treasure or what do you say you love in life or what do you say is the center of your world? But when you look at how your life is lived, what do you pour yourself into? What do you find yourself giving yourself to 
day after day after day in pursuing? What are the things that you treasure? The works that matter to you. It's not an accident that this story is sandwiched in between two different rejections of Jesus where on the front end you have different religious leaders who are looking for a way to to really kill him. And on the, the back end you see one of his closest disciples selling Jesus out for a simple 30 pieces of silver. That's how much he matters to Judas. And then in the middle, you see all these others who see this woman as what she's doing is extravagantly wasteful. And yet here, Mark is saying, this this is beautiful. This is a life of faith. Jesus' life demands our response in some way. And despite our wanting to make it more complicated, there are really only two ways forward. There, There is this follow me with all that you are, or go your own way. Each of those comes with its own cost, and each of those comes with its own reward, and we are meant to choose very carefully. And so I'll close with just this question again. What what does Jesus mean to you? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this example of this woman and the beauty of her heart the love that she showed, her willingness to pour out her treasure. And it convicts us of our unwillingness and reluctance to pour out much of anything for you. And I believe most of it is because we, we haven't been moved like she was. And so would you, would you move us? Would you help us to see the gospel with fresh eyes, to, to see Jesus that we would be willing to pour out all that we are at his feet and say, where else would we go? You, you are the words of eternal life. You have them. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you would, if you'd stand and join us as we just respond in, in worship.